Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jardin's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Noah Pickles. Now, Noah has built a decade of fintech and startup leadership within communications, alternative investments experience, and you've come from several different Israeli VCs, as well as consulting on US-based health-focused VCs and a partner in an award-winning hedge fund. So a lot that we're going to go through today, as well as your current role. But I'm going to say thanks for joining us today, Noah. Thank you for having me. Now, as I mentioned, I touched on the surface. Let's go into all of the things that you've done and then where you are today. Over to you. Wow. A lot of things that we can talk about. I'll try to focus on things that you and your audience will find the most interesting. My career path was definitely atypical. I started out focusing on corporate advertising and media buying. I was recruited to one of the leading baby agencies of one of the big four marketing companies uh, under the Poop umbrella. That was back in 2005, 2006, which was funny enough when digital advertising was just starting. Uh, I think there was about 6.4 billion search results. I think people going into the search engines uh, monthly, it just was like really picking up then. And companies started to realize that they were able to do hyper-focused targeted ads because banner ads for our generation are really just you know, blocked out completely. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that. It was really cool. The company that I worked at had a joint venture with Coca-Cola. So they're really vanguard of this new, sounds funny talking about it now, it's new, but back then it was new uh, initiative in terms of really reaching out directly to clients uh, or customers directly. And I then thought, you know what, why am I living in New York? And that's probably the most atypical thought that I had, which is really important in the concept of entrepreneurship and startups is is kind of breaking from the mold. So I picked up, I bought a one-way ticket from New York City to Jerusalem, and that was it. I got my MBA like you're getting now. Uh, I got my MBA in 2008, 2009, then kind of shifted more towards the typical path of someone in Israel. I went to serve in the IDF. I became an officer, but that in and of itself was also a very atypical path for another time. And what's funny is that the IDF has become one of the best preparatory institutions for startups and entrepreneurship. Not what you normally would associate, you know, the army with that, but it ends up being that men and women as young as 18, 19 are being trained to use and develop highly sophisticated technologies. Mm. And more importantly, probably is that they were entrusted with the leadership and decision-making responsibilities over themselves, over their, you know, friends, their colleagues. And that does an amazing job at maturing people, people where we're from, you know, they don't really have responsibility normally until a little bit later in life, unless they have a a more of a difficult upbringing. But many people don't have real responsibility thrust onto them until a little bit later in life. So so there's the folk saying that pressure makes diamonds. And these pressures that the people in these roles take make them mature very quickly. So when I finished my service, I was reading a book called The Startup Nation, which is a story about the economic miracle that's 
been going on in Israel by Dan Senor and Saul Singer. And from then I knew with my experience in the army and my desire to have a really impactful life that the startup world was where I wanted to be. Yeah. It's really interesting. It is a good book if anyone listening has not read that one and is looking at yeah, some of the dynamics that play around um, characteristics of a startup. And so where are you today? What roles do you play in, and what's your involvement in the space? So one of the companies that I invested in is a company called Desha Analytics. We started off as a hedge fund managing assets using artificial intelligence and a lot of other buzzwords. And we were listening to our clients who effectively kept on asking to adjust here, adjust there, which gave us the understanding that rather than being, we'll call it the hero of the story, the Luke Skywalker of the story, our real value add is more being the Yoda, being the facilitator of other people's success. So effectively, we turned the kind of business model around to facilitate other financial institutions to utilize machine learning, artificial intelligence, et cetera, in order to give them the tools that they want to succeed. And we understood that there are three primary, uh, we'll call it vectors that these financial institutions want, going from high human in the loop to low human in the loop. High human in the loop is more on the brokerage side, you know, the explosion of people wanting to take control over their own destiny, people trading themselves, the the growth of the Reddit mob. So what we do is we create equity research as a service, effectively providing the work of thousands of the most sophisticated, brilliant equity researchers. We take what they would say, and then we apply that to about 44,000 global stocks. So anytime somebody wants to know what would an analyst say about a stock, they don't have to wait. Instantly when the information is uploaded, the raw data is uploaded from S&P, from Affinitive, what have you, we gather it and we contextualize it. We use a natural language generating engine to put it into paragraphs that make sense and contextualize not just the raw data, but the momentum of the rate of the change and how that compares to their competitors. So that someone doesn't have to necessarily approach it from scratch. They can look and say, we call it from A to Y in terms of a solution. We get you to the point where you can see where you should be looking further, because at least you have a lot of assumptions about the market, the macro, the this, the that, you can apply all of your existing knowledge. Just have somebody effectively being your own private junior research department. We also work with a number of leading banks here in Israel and hopefully increasingly abroad that are similarly using it for relationship management and for their own traders and portfolio managers. Like at least if you call up someone at uh, Jordan, obviously everyone knows about every single company. So we're not going to talk about you guys. But if you call up your broker or your portfolio manager and you say, hey, what do you think about X, Y, or Z stock? Unless your bank buys the research and the research was done relatively recently, you're like, um, uh, <laughs> let me get back to you. Um, so we realize that this is an interesting relationship management tool that you can always have an intelligent conversation. You just quickly go in and I'll I'll give you access to this afterwards where you just literally type in the name and then you can understand and and provide meaningful conversation 
with anyone who asks. And there are those with low human on the loop where we work with a number of pension funds who want to create financial products that leverage artificial intelligence. They are the ones who decide. My macro vision is I want, you know, Asia Pacific stocks that are focused on semiconductors and medtech. And I want to create an AI strategy that's going to do high conviction. I want maybe 18 to 34 stocks, reevaluating quarterly what the weights are, blah, blah, blah. Again, anything that you want, you're in the driver's seat. You can actually very quickly create the visibility not just for the strategy, but down to the individual stock and understand why anything was done, why what was chosen was chosen. And it's a really interesting tool for opening the black box for people who are very skeptical to say, I don't understand it. It Mm. really opens that up. Because it's still challenging always to understand a new concept that's coming through. So is there anything that Mm -hmm. we can compare it to in the market that gives us a little bit of, or like, who do you think are your competitors? Are you disrupting other new technology or is there an iteration that's next generation? Can you give us a bit more to help us to fully contextualize the business? Sure. Let me give you a parallel And then I'll bring it back to this. I was an investor in a company called Zebra Medical Vision. What they do is they use computer vision and machine learning to analyze CT scans, radiological scans. And the fears that doctors potentially have is that robots are coming to take over our jobs, right? But it's really the combination of humans and machines that the machines can do way more than humans can, but the combination of the two of them creates a better result for the end client. So we're not trying to replace any humans, but we're expanding out the scope of what humans can do. When you understand, um, and you probably talk about this with your audience more, is that everyone's a data point and you're pulling all these things together. And at the end of the day, at least in your colleagues, you're the ones who are taking the ultimate responsibility. We are getting everyone from A to Y. We're giving people more tools to understand everything a lot better. Warren Buffett was saying recently, when I saw the video, for me, it was recently, uh, he was saying, I care less about what the company itself's numbers are, what it's doing. I want to know more about its competitors because the companies he's invested in, he knows the numbers inside and out, and he's forecasted that out way to the future. It's really about where things fit in in their context. So we are a tool for helping very quickly get to an understanding of the context of, of everything around, and then people can supplement how they want. We're also supplementary to people's understanding. Fantastic. Okay. So if we look at that, what could you say are some of the most valuable insights? Are you able to give some of the insights that you've been able to capture or trends that you're seeing from the use of your software? So I would say the simplification is what customers are saying they really like having the MACD, the 50-day moving average, the 200-day moving average, um, RSI, all of that presented to them very clearly with the ability to go and play in the charting tools themselves. We don't create charting tools. We just pull that part together. It's really the simplification of the information so that someone can digest it a lot easier. Yeah. 
And now I'm going to change tack. I'm going to talk to about some of your more VC earlier stage mm-hmm. side, which I think always plays into where you're doing your own business as well. So can you talk to some of the notable investments that you might have had, why you thought they were interesting, and kind of those key things that you think now are business successes? Sure. It's like talking about your children. You love them all. <laughs> um, I'm keen to hear how this feels. So I'll tell you about two. One that I can name and one that I can't name yet. So if you or anyone else wants to go deeper dive into that one, you'll reach out afterwards on a one-to-one basis. The one I can tell you about was a company called Olive Farms. Cultured meat and sustainability are very large, super exciting topics. Olive Farms is one of the leaders in the space. They're able to basically 3D print T-bones and all kinds of other delicious things that we're looking forward to eating, but have potentially moral issues. So there was a article a little while ago where the former prime minister of Israel was eating some of these steaks. You've got international investors uh, like Migros in Switzerland and a number of other institutions that are investing in this future. And it's a really incredible company. DJ is a, an amazing CEO, and I look forward to following that thing. It was a company that I had actually been following and trying to get access to years and years ago when I was at a different fund. And then I told a partner of mine that we really should target this company. And because of the relationship that he was able to develop with uh, DDA, we were able to get a nice allocation into into the company. So it was really exciting that. And another company, I can't really mention its name, but it's in a super interesting space. Content, e-commerce, all of that is decentralizing. Everyone is establishing their own brands, their own voice, et cetera. And it's very difficult to do it economically. This is a, a company was started by a brilliant entrepreneur, I know personally, who had a very interesting kind of success in the past, but also then moved to set up a like a beer business. I don't want to give too much away. Um, and he realized a problem that he was you know, experiencing himself. And he created a solution to effectively give e-commerce, anyone in that space, the ability to simplify and turn fulfillment, which is generally a cash suck. It's problematic from a logistics perspective. It's just a costly part of the business. Turn that actually into a simplified money-making part of the business, giving everybody who utilizes their platform effectively an Amazon Prime type experience, right? So it helps you as a customer who utilizes it through the brand to get higher fulfillment, faster fulfillment, more visibility on it, and also drives uh, recurring revenue and customer loyalty. It's unbelievable. Company started pushing it out with design partners back in May. They're up to 6,500 orders fulfilled a day. You know, it's right at that point where it's about to, you know, start exploding. Some very good investors who are behind it. And again, that company is is probably going to be one of the most exciting ones that I've been involved with. 
Fantastic. I'm going to have to ask you offline what that one is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know a few in uh, the retail space might be interested. Now I want to talk about the startup environment. Now we hear mm-hmm. a lot about valuations that are happening globally around the VC area because of them being impacted by the sell-off in tech, you know, not globally and the listed space. I'd love to know what are you seeing? Are you seeing valuations normalize? Are you think there's more to go? Is it shopping time for some of the other guys? Tell me, what are you seeing? Lots to unpack. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what I said also to the founder. VC and startups operate primarily in the world of the power law, right? So everyone is trying to be an outlier. So what we're talking about and what you're asking about in terms of what am I seeing across the board, presumably that's for the across the board. It's the companies that become the outliers. Those are, are really the companies that end up being those long-term successes. So there are a lot of companies where the valuation pressure does not affect them, but overwhelmingly, yes, there is less appetite in the broader market for unproven business models and kind of just taking a fly. But for strong businesses that have very good prospects that are actually generating revenue or have the obvious potential to do that, there is going to be clearly a demand for that. Why is it? do I frame it as clearly a demand for it? Because the amount of dry powder that exists in the market is, is unprecedented. People don't know when the right time is to start deploying. And you're seeing that a lot of late stage money is getting pushed into early stage opportunities. So there's now more money available in early stage. Still, though, it's this concentration amongst uh, more well-known, less risky opportunities. But still, there's a lot of money to go around in terms of the general market in terms of valuations, et cetera. When you think that you have you know, a clear trend that valuations are going down and every point that goes down, Charmath Palihapitiya from Social Capital says there's a 15 to 25% expected drop in valuations in the public market. Then you have companies like uh, Adobe buying Figma for what looks like crazy valuations again. Then when you go into the numbers, you realize it's not so crazy. It does make sense, especially when Figma could potentially have been we call it, a company that was going to pose a very significant challenge to Adobe's growth. And it did make sense in terms of the uh, the way it was described to me, why it was a really exciting offer at the right price. But we'll see. Uh, the market will determine that later. But for every trend that you think you have, you end up seeing outliers coming in and blowing it away. And that's really what the world of, of VC is about, is about identifying the outliers. Most companies fail. Everything that you're going to say about most companies, you know, the broader availability of capital, all that applies to what are most likely not going to be the names that we're going to be aware of five, 10 years from now. And then the last point I'll make on that is that with the great resignation, the difficulty in achieving growth, the shift towards profitability, that's creating pressure on a lot of companies. Andy Jassy at Amazon said we're freezing hiring or or other companies that are actually doing reduction in headcount. That creates a pool 
of highly qualified individuals who are either now going to join startups or start their own company. And if you look back at vintages of startups that were created in and around major adjustments in the market, those typically become the best vintages for investors who are actually engaging in venture capital, which in Hebrew is called like adventure capital, hone sikun is it's actually risk capital, uh, as opposed to just a lot of lookalike and, you know, me too VCs. So I feel like that was a lot. Uh, I but, like that. Uh, though. I like that. So yeah, some of the companies that might come through now, if you think about it, might be harder to get capital, but they'll have more of a scrutiny process as well. Is that fair to say that? If you break it into simplistically, you know, companies that are obviously have a very high chance of success because of the founders, because of their network and the ability to fundraise, and because of the quality of the idea and the timing, those companies will do fantastically, presumably high likelihood of that. Then there's the middle companies where there is a qualitative element of them being able to kind of either all the stars align and they're successful or something falls off and then they're not successful as it relates to fundraising, as it relates to execution, et cetera. And then there's the bottom tier where nothing would have helped them. And it was just in previous generations, just highly, highly, highly speculative money going after that. So I hope that answers or gives a little bit of a qualification on, on sure that Sure does. Now, I feel like there's so much more we can talk about, but I know we're pressing up against time. So if mm-hmm. anybody wants to hear more about the business, yourself, have you got anywhere that you mm-hmm. can guide them to? So there's obviously deshaanalytics.com or you can ping me directly. So when, back when I was at our crowd, I was for a time running our global teams. Our crowd has a very impressive infrastructure uh, led yeah. by managing director down in uh, in Australia. They're an amazing team. Dan Bennett, he's yeah. he's a, a legend, yeah. uh, as you guys <laughs> I say. I don't remember if I have got him on the podcast, but he's definitely in our lineup <laughs> and sent me exactly. <laughs> exactly. So for my time at our crowd, I was basically communicating from Australia to you know Los Angeles. So my ethos and, and how I operate is just always be available. And that's really potentially detrimental. But enthusiasm is probably one of the most important elements. You know, you get so excited, you want to run into it, you find all the uh, excitement in it, and you hopefully bring excitement to other people. So just reach out directly or, or go on the website and, and uh, ask to, to sign up. Fantastic. So Noah Pickold, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I no doubt we will be circling around and hearing more about what's happening in the business and the landscape soon. Perfect. Thank you so much, Elise.